0: In going through our series of Essential Jesus, we can talk about several things, peace, love, joy, happiness, uh, all of these great things. And then my Sunday comes, and I'm looking through the information, and I get this word, suffering. Kind of strange. I don't know why. I, it wasn't a sign to me. It's just something that, that came to me as I was looking through the information. But suffering... And then I decided, well, this morning I could really give you an opportunity to to choose a topic. If you'd like to choose a topic, I'll give you some topics to choose from. If you want, we could talk about mutilation, decapitation, Arctic vortex, unemployment, death, illness, disease, child abandonment, child capturing, child sex slave operation, we could talk about all of these things and we really don't have to pick because we are going to talk about all of, the, all of those things because they really fall under the topic of suffering. Suffering is when you and I experience a very unpleasant time as a result of an illness, <clears throat> a sickness, an injury, a loss. It's times where we have experienced, we've had to endure something that was either inevitable or unavoidable. We have friends with us and some of them have shared their stories of of years, 15 years plus in in refugee camps where their children were born and their grandchildren were born. We just caught an article in the Pentecostal evangel of a, of a, of a husband and a wife over in Sri Lanka that, They're doing a great work for Jesus and spreading the gospel of Jesus and the authorities brought them out and took them to the countryside and showed them two graves. And they said, if you don't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus, this is where you're going to be. Martyrdom, suffering, 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 suffering. It's all around us. And yet we don't talk about it very much and it's almost like the elephant in the room. You are here today, and there are some of you that are experiencing what we call this suffering. And it has its degrees, and it, is, it has its capacities, sometimes based upon where we are in our walk with God, how strong we are, mature we are, because i got to be honest with you today, there are some people that will suffer over a hangnail. I mean, they just get a hangnail, and you think it's, it's, they're on their last leg. And there, there are some who will suffer because they lost their cable. and. And I lost the Sports Channel and oh, dear, it's a terrible. i am suffering. And then there are those of us such as the three people we have right now in the hospital, those who have lost your job, some of you who have children are going wayward and you really don't know how to get them back. We have those who just recently, this last Monday, Darlene Payne and, and we had the funeral for her husband, Frank. And I'm sensing as God put this into my heart this morning that he says there's a lot of people in this room today who are experiencing suffering, but they have some reservations about it. They don't know how to deal with it. And, and because it's, we have a tendency of ignoring it because it's just not one of those feel good topics. We could preach on victory and salvation and rising from the grave and healing and miracles and wonders and signs. And, and we just, you know, it's kind of a makes us feel good, but. Let's not talk about suffering. But friends, I got to tell you, it's all around us. It is all around us. The homeless, the children being abused, it, it is around us. So we're not going to ignore it this morning. We're going to deal with it because Jesus dealt with it. Jesus was essential in all of their lives. And you say, but, but I'm suffering, I'm in the midst of what Pastor Jason talked about, the anxiety, the stress, carrying all of these things, and, 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 I, and I don't have an answer. Well, I have an answer for you today. His name is Jesus. Let me read you a little bio about this man that we're talking about. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. Never had a family. Never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion had turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them even denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat." And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. I believe this morning I'm far within the reaches when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned, all of these put together have not affected the life of a man upon this earth as powerfully as has the one solitary life of Jesus. Jesus is essential. Essential simply means important, it's necessary, and it's unavoidable. And you can't live on this earth very long and you can't be a part of life very long, be married very long, be in ministry very long, have kids very long before you understand that Jesus is essential. And I'm not going to take you through the whole list, but I've got to tell you this morning because I, I'm excited about this. I'm, I, I believe it's timely. I believe it's fitting. But I've got to tell you, my experience in life is the things that we have walked through, not only prior to Barbara and I being married, but after those years, we have learned That Jesus is the answer. When your child is born, and the doctors say there is no soft spot in the top of his head, we have to do surgery. We went to Jesus, went back for the x rays, and the soft spot was there. No surgery was needed. When you get diagnosed with incurable diseases, you get diagnosed with cancer, you get diagnosed with the things that affect your life, you go into ministry where you have no promise of pay, there are no salaries, there are no benefit packages, we've learned over the years that Jesus is essential. And because of that, there's times in our lives Though we've experienced the suffering, but we've learned to turn it over to Jesus. You see, Barb and I are at this age, in that boomer age, where we didn't grow up with all of the electronic technology. And some of it is still foreign to us, but, but in my growing up years, and maybe, maybe we didn't do it just perfect, but it worked. When we had a need, we took it to the Lord. When we had a need, we made it a matter of prayer. We didn't text it, we didn't Twitter it, we didn't email it, we didn't phone call it, we went to God in prayer. And I still believe that of the 65 plus million believers in our country today, if we would begin to practice that a little bit more, we would put most of the psychiatrists and therapists out of business. Because I still believe, I'm old fashioned enough to believe, that a lot of the things that we need na- answers for can be found right here at the altar. I believe that. And you say, but 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 I don't, you know, time. It, there is no excuse. I believe that when we experience these things in our life, that that there's times you say, well, but I can't get alone. Listen, it would be worth your while to rent a motel room for 24 hours and leave your cell phone at home, leave your laptop at home, leave any mechanical or electronic device at home, lock yourself in that room, get on your face before God, and say, God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And I believe that God is faithful to answer us. See, that's why Jesus is essential. But also Jesus experienced suffering. And I remember when when Barb and I were first married, we've been going on 45 years now this March, we had disagreements, we had fights. One time she threw an alarm clock at me. It's my fault, but it still hurt. We didn't tell our parents. We didn't get on the phone and talk to Johnny and Susie. We didn't sit and chat about it over coffee. There was a lot of forgiveness and a lot of I'm sorry's and a lot of apologies. But the bottom line was we asked Jesus to work in those relationships. And friends, I think we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from that. So I want to take you through this morning just for a few moments. I want us to begin to look at what I call the suffering psalmist, because in Psalm 22, in fact, Psalm 22 is probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And Psalm 22 is actually one of your readings this week. When you're reading through the essential Jesus, you're going to read Psalm 22. But I want us to take a look at the, what, what I call the suffering psalmist. In order to understand this, we have to understand Scripture in its original context. And I know that, that, that we don't want to take the time to be studious and understand all of this, but, but, but just let me give you a very, very quick example. When you read the Psalms, it is filled, probably consumed with poetry and imagery. In Psalm 22, we have David. And we have in just a moment, we're going to read some of his, his thoughts. But in Psalm 22, with the imagery that is there, as an example, Psalm 22, David says, I was surrounded by dogs, lions and bulls. And we can't really find a place, we can't find a location, we can't find a scenario that would verify that there was dogs, lions and bulls that was around him ready to eat him up. So what we we take from that is David was a place in his life that he was feeling trapped and in danger. Imagery, trapped and in danger. So we come to this place and and believe it or not, Psalm 22 begins, 22 verses 1 and 2, here's what he says. My God, my God, you have abandoned me. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. And every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. I have a question for us this morning. Are we allowed to say these things in church? Are we allowed to say these? Because this, this, this is church. This is church. This is Erie First Assembly. This is the sanctuary. Are we allowed to say these things in church? Can we honestly express those feelings about God being distant and about God being silent? See, I think somehow, and, and, and Barb mentioned this last night at our clubhouse conversation, she said, growing up, we were kind of taught that you don't question God and you don't really share your true feelings about God because He's God. And, and if you do, that means that you may have some doubt Uh, It means that you may be disrespecting. It means that you may not really believe that God is who he's supposed to be. So you just don't express your feelings about God. But this morning, I want you to know, it's required for us to be honest before God in worship. No more pretending. David is coming before God out of his frustration, out of his despair, and he's just being honest. Have you ever, have you tried that? You see, because there are times when we come to these altars and we come and we understand that we're worshiping, you know, uh, Almighty God, there's none like you, Almighty God, and, and we worship you and King of kings and Lord of lords. But what would it sound like if it started out something like this? I worship you, Almighty God, there is none like you. But doggone it, God, life is rough. I feel abandoned. and I feel you don't hear me and I don't feel that you care about me and I don't feel that you love me. I worship you, almighty God. See, but doesn't that sound like a mix? It sounds like somebody being transparent, that we know who God is. We know what he can do, but in the midst of our suffering, we're just being transparent and there's no more pretending. I remember the first time I experienced that and I thought, sure, lightning was going to strike me. We were youth pastors, there'd been a mix up in our insurance. Barbara was pregnant for our second child, and Blue Cross says, You're not covered. Your premiums haven't been paid. Now I remember dropping my my oldest son off at the babysitter. I'm driving back from from the country back into town and, and and I'm just I'm praying and these are my words. God, you don't care about us. You don't love us. You're not concerned about us. You don't care if this is going to be taken care of or not and it's like I remember I'm waiting for lightning to strike me dead. The bottom line was that God did care and he does love and the gracious congregation provided for our back insurance premiums, we had our second child and everything was okay. But I remember that moment when I was just had to be transparent before God. And I'm saying to some of you today, that's okay. And for some of you, you're going to breathe a sigh of relief. Because you've had all of this stuff bottled up in you, but you don't know what to do with it and you're scared witless that if you come out and talk to God this way, He's going to strike you dead. Well, David was our example here and he's not pretending. And then also when we look at this scripture, we understand that when we come to this time of suffering in our life, we have to recognize who God is. Because when we recognize who God is, it will lead us to submission. I'm not being, I don't want to be hard and nasty, but I want to be very straightforward this morning. As long as you are in your process of stress and anxiety, and you are in your place in suffering, no matter what it is over, as long as you are in control, God isn't. You say, but Pastor Don, why does, why does he allow suffering? Well, there's another part of the Psalm that says, after I was, I'm, I'm glad I was afflicted, because after my affliction, you brought me back to your statutes. Sometimes God allows the suffering to come to us to bring him closer, to bring us closer to him. Sometimes He allows the suffering in our life to bring us and line us back up with His Word. But if we're not in tune with that, if the only thing on our mind is trying to figure out how to fix it, then we we never catch that. And I know there's been times in my life, in fact just recently, and, and I still can't give you an answer. I've been for almost two years now, I've been having this hip thing. You guys have been watching me limp around, I look like Chester on Gunsmoke. I mean, it's just, been, it's just been kind of a fun thing. And I don't know what it is, but the last, about the last week, it, it, it's, it's getting better and, and the pain's not there. And... But when this started, I mean, it took, it put me on the shelf. I was playing basketball. I was playing racquetball. I was messing around with my grandkids. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do any of that. And, and, and for a guy that's been involved in sports for 57 years first it dealt first god took me through the pride thing he said i'm sorry don but you have got to get rid of this pride thing cuz see my goal was to play sports till i was at least 70 i wanted to still be on the basketball court when i was 70 i wanted to be on the racquetball courts when i was 70 that was a goal and he said okay we're going to deal with this pride thing And then then there's some other things that we're dealing with. And and, and I don't know. I can't can't verify and I can't say, thus saith the Lord. But I know that during this time that I felt the pain and the discomfort. And I know that during this time, there's been things that God has, has dealt with me about. And I haven't complained. It's like the fellow that had no shoes complained until he saw the guy that had no feet. Yeah, it's been a discomfort, it's slowed me down, it's kind of changed my, my, my way of exercising and things a little bit, but I only have to go visit the hospitals and stop by the funeral homes and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. I can handle this. I can handle this. And then I, then I do this thing with God, OK God, if this is the way it's going to be, if this is going to be Paul thorn in the flesh, the rest of my life, I need to know now. So so I deal with it. No answer. You know, just bzzz, Nobody answer. But what, what have I learned? You said, you mean pastors can learn stuff? <laughs> you bet what I've learned is to recognize who God is and to go back and recognize what he's done. And I'm here this morning to say, if God never does another thing for me the rest of my life, I will serve him because of who he is. See, that comes to a place. You say, well, you got this submission thing wrapped up? Probably not. You you know, the way God works, He gives us a little break and then He hits us with something else down the road. That's just how He is. His sense of humor, heavenly humor. But it it brought me to that place of submission. It brought me to that place of recognizing who God is and understanding who's in control. And friends, I'm saying to you this morning, if you are here today... And you are suffering, you are experiencing unpleasantness that has been on, brought on by illness or by disease or by the loss of, of jobs or family or loved ones, if you are enduring something that is inevitable or unavoidable, I'm here to say, learn to submit it to God. Because as long as you carry it, he won't. And I don't get those things too often. It just, it's just, you know, God just doesn't throw those things at me every day. But, but I'm standing there and God says, tell them, as long as they're going to carry it, I won't. And it is, it is hard to release those things. It's hard to release our future. It's hard to release our children. It's hard to release those, those maladies that we have in our body. I understand that. But see, that's why Jesus is essential, because he's there, and he's the one that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we also learn from the suffering psalmist that when we find ourselves in this condition, our first request has to be for God's presence. Has to be for God's presence. You see, interestingly enough, most of the time we often pray for his power first. And it goes something like this. God, change it, fix it, and do it right now. Pray for his power. I would admonish you this morning to pray for his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's no one to compare to you. I worship you, oh God. In your presence, in your presence, in your presence, sitting in the presence of God, standing in the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God and and, and get out of this, okay, God, I want Your power, I want it right now. See we're always wanting God to fix it and fix it now. Remember the story of Noah and the ark? I'm not going to go through the whole story but the story is about Noah and the ark and God gave him all of the specs to build this big boat. And He tells them to bring in two of every species and seven clean and, and all of these animals that come in. And Noah, he's, he's had a rough time. I mean, it, it wasn't like today. You went out and cut the trees and hand-hewn and hand-sawed and had scraped and everything and cut them and put them together and put the pitch in and, and this guy's been working hard. God brings the animals along and Noah's just about whipped and the animals get in the ark And God said, Noah, you need to take one of the hippos back. Noah goes, what? You need to take one of the hippos back. Both are males. You need to go find a female. And Noah, so tired and exasperated from all of these years of work, said, God, I'm not going to do it, you change them. Sometimes we find ourselves at that place when God is saying to us, this is what I want you to do, and out of our exasperated feeling, it's like, God, I'm not going to do it. You change it. And I found that during this time, our first desire should be for God Himself, not for what He can do for us, but for who He is. Even when we have feelings of doubt, despair, hopelessness, We know that God is with us in our suffering. Then, not only the suffering psalmist, but then I went on and I found scriptures that talks about the suffering king, and I found the correlation between Matthew and and Psalm. So Matthew 27, verse 46, this is what Jesus said. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God why have you forsaken me? David, in Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the way through Psalm 22, there is a direct parallel between David and Jesus, and we see that lineage taking place there. But when you look through Psalm 22, you find this. David forsaken by God, Jesus forsaken by God. Mocked and scorned, experienced great thirst, pierced hands and feet, humiliated, cast lots for clothing, all of these things that are taking place we find Jesus experiencing. And the portrait of Jesus that we see is one of pain and suffering. In fact, Psalm 22 verse 24 says this, "'For He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry.'" for help. That's the suffering king. Now let me pause just for a moment to give you something to think about. Most of the time when we think about Jesus' suffering, we think about a physical suffering because that's most of what we read, nails, thorns, spears, whips. Beatings. We think of a physical suffering. In fact, if you f- would flash through your mind the passion of the Christ, that's, that's kind of what you see. Let me propose something to us this morning. I'm not so sure that the sufferings of Jesus were as much physical as they were spiritual. And the reason I say that is because if you look in the life of Christ... You'll find the time that he went into the temple. And the Scripture says that he was angry. Now, he wasn't just a ticked-off angry. He went into the temple, which was designated as a house of prayer, and he was watching it being turned into a den of thieves. And I believe there was a suffering, there was an emotion, there was an intensity, there was something taking place inside of him because his father's house was being desecrated. If I had to unpack, time to unpack that today, we could parallel that with the church of today. What's it look like? What's it doing? How's it acting? And is Jesus still feeling that angst of the church of today? I think there was another time when Jesus was on the cross and he turned and he said, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. I think there was a spiritual uh, concern, a spiritual grief going on because he was leaving his family. He was leaving his mother. He was leaving the ones that he loved. And it wasn't a physical suffering. There was a spiritual suffering. And we find him in the garden, kneeling before his heavenly father, and, and the scripture says it, it's called hemothrombosis. It's when the, the, the pressure is so intense that the capillaries burst and, and blood literally comes out of your the pores. And Jesus was here sweating blood and, 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 and Father, you know, if, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. And, and this, is, this, this, is, this is suffering that's going on inside of him, but it wasn't so much physical. It was spiritual. So Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to experience these feelings. But I'm here today to tell you, friends, the same Jesus who endured the suffering, the same Jesus who emerged out of that grave and walked in victory, Listen closely. He is here. He is here. Right now, He is here. His presence is here to come in and fill your heart with hope, to come in and give you that strength to release whatever it is you're experiencing. I know it's not redundancy and I'm not repeating, I'm repeating myself for a fact because God won't let me get away from it. Whatever it is you're experiencing, if you are going to carry it, He won't. I believe that that's a word that God wants to give us this morning. So we have the suffering psalmist and we have the suffering king. But what about you and I, saints, saved, redeemed? Forgiven, cleansed, baptized, set free, what about, what about us? How, how does this relate for you and me today? I believe that Psalm 22, as you read through that this week, Psalm 22 is, is there's basically four things that's, that's happening here. First of all, I believe that the Psalm is calling us to honesty before God. Tell Him how you feel. Do you really think that you have the vocabulary to upset God, the Creator of this universe, do you really think you have the word capacity to tick God off? See, because he knows our intents, he knows our thoughts, he knows our hearts, and we come before God. And And, and I believe the psalmist is saying that, that starting today, when we're in that midst of suffering, we have to be honest before God. Secondly, I believe the psalm is calling us to submission to God. There are some of us this morning that's carried your burdens far too long. We have learned, and and it's as parents, parents, if you're here today and you've got children that don't know Jesus, and they're out there just wandering and stumbling around and doing all kinds of stupid stuff, they're still your children. You still love them, but there's a point in time you have to release them to God. And, and, and they still, the feelings and the emotions, and I, I, and I, can't, ex- I can't express it because it's so deep. But, but I remember it hasn't been that long ago, a couple of years or so, when Barbara and I, we didn't even get a call because our son couldn't talk. He was so broken. We got a text. Mom and Dad, please pray. I can't talk right now. I'll call you later. We knew something wasn't good. When we finally, when he finally gathered his composure to call, he said, my wife has come in and told me that she doesn't want to be married to me anymore. She's leaving after 11 years and two grandkids. So what do you think that's doing to mom and dad? Barb's just a pool of sputter. She's fallen apart. I'm trying to help hold her together and I'm falling apart because this family unit that you thought was going to be forever has all of a sudden exploded. And your son is weeping and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. My whole world is shattered and I can tell you for those next couple of years, and I'm not being rough on you this morning. I'm just, i just please, please hear my heart. We didn't email, we didn't text, we didn't Twitter, we didn't talk about it to everybody. But every morning at breakfast, we'd pray for Nathan. And at supper time, we'd pray for Nathan. And during the day, I'd come home at Barbie Say. I just can't get him off my mind. Been praying for him today. And at nighttime, you know, Barb and I are so different. She's, she is such a hard worker during the day, but the minute her head hits the pillow, it's, it's goodbye, lights out. And I can go to sleep fast, but I'm laying there, and there were many, many nights I'm praying for Nathan and for Ethan and for Brody, my grandkids. Because I know what divorce does, it's ugly, it's ugly. And for the last two years, that's how we prayed, but can I tell you this, that in that transition time and time that we had to take our hands off and we had to give it to God, in that transition time, He met this young lady who's a sweetheart. We love her. She has two daughters, first time Barb's had girls to buy Christmas for. They got married. And, and we love the kids, we're Grammy and Poppy to the girls, and this lady is showing him the love and the attention and the affection that he hadn't had for 11 years. They both love God and raising their children in church. And, but you see, two years ago, we couldn't see that. We couldn't see that. And if God had said, you know, Donna Barb, look, look, don't tell anybody, but here's what I'm going to do in the next two years. How would that have affected us? We wouldn't have prayed. We wouldn't have fasted. We wouldn't have cried. We wouldn't have wept. We wouldn't have... Because we'd go, oh, it's going to be okay. Just give it a couple years. Because we know what's going... No, it doesn't happen that way, friends. God brings us through those difficult times to draw us to Him. He brings us through those difficult times to bring us to the place to really understand, am I submitting it to God? Or am I trying to deal with it myself? And I've learned a long time ago, even with this hip, it doesn't matter what has come my way, I've learned the first thing, the first thing I do is to begin to say, God, what are you wanting to tell me? What are you wanting to tell me? And I think the third thing that the psalmist is telling us is this. The cross reminds us that Jesus has been there too. He's been there. He's been there, done that. The sufferings not only physically but spiritually. It's been a part of his life. And then number four, the psalm reminds us to look ahead. There's still a tomorrow. There's still a tomorrow. And here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Sometimes God removes his comforting presence, but never his sustaining presence. Please catch that. Sometimes God removes His comforting presence, but never His sustaining presence. Because here's what I found out about God. God will never change His will to accommodate my comfort. He just doesn't do that. Sometimes God removes His comforting presence, but never His sustaining presence. Let me put it to you in, in, in everyday terms. Even when the sun doesn't shine, it's still daylight. That would preach. Even when the sun doesn't shine, it's still daylight. In other words, hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning. And even though we can't see the sun, it's still daylight. And even though there are times we can't see or feel or hear God, He's still God. And He'll never change. No matter where you are struggling today, Jesus hears your cry, and He will answer, because Jesus is King, and He's still in control. He wants to reach into your life and bring His presence close. And that is why Jesus is essential. Would you stand with me this morning? So, Father God, we thank You today. You've given us a whole lot to think about. But, Father, we know that You're not a God of coincidence. Father, I'm standing on the floor down here looking at these words on the screen that we were led in worship. And, Father, You prompted Pastor Jason to come and give us a word. And You put a word in my heart. And You've given us a message on suffering and how to deal with it and and, and what it accomplishes. You're not a God of accidents and coincidence, but You're a God of intention. And Father, I pray for my precious friends in this room today who are experiencing suffering. It's real. Stop faking it. Stop pretending because it's real. It's reality. But You've given us hope. And you've given us help, and you will be there. Even when it seems that comforting presence is removed, your sustaining presence will not be removed. So, Father, we rejoice today. We rejoice. We walk out of this building excited because you are in control. You're the Lord of glory, the great I am, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God, your name is wonderful. You're the Prince of peace, the everlasting Father throughout eternity. You are the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And we rejoice in that today. And, Father, we leave here knowing that you love us, that you love us. We ask that you go with us today May we walk in your peace and your presence. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Give God praise this morning because he is in control. And no matter what you're going through, God will see you through it. Have a great day in the Lord.